Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you? How's your summer going? How is life going? How's your career going? How are your thoughts going? These are all things that we've talked about on this podcast, and hopefully the answer to all of those is better because of this podcast. So hey, if you haven't yet subscribed, rated, reviewed this podcast, please do so and let your friends know we're really getting good publicity. We're also getting, um, I think it's been about a triple increase in listeners and downloads every week, and so I want that to continue to where I get to kind of a magic number um, that I kind of aspire to. So help me out. I've been hooking you up with great content and I would love it if you would hook me up with some new listeners and some great reviews to add to the ones that I already have. So, Hey, what are we talking about today? And before I even say that, what are we talking about this quarter? So typically I kind of have an overarching theme for a three month period and then break that down into segments for each month. And what I decided to do for July, August, and September was a lot of different things. So there is no theme for this three-month period. It's just a bunch of different things that have either been on my mind or that clients or listeners have reached out about and wanted help with. And so I wanted to kind of put all those in. I've also got a fair amount of guests this summer that I'm really excited to share with you in a lot of different areas. They're going to bring up a lot of different topics. So I'm really excited about the potpourri of things that we're going to have going on this summer. So what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about how to get employment in the U.S. if you are a foreign national. Now, for those of you that are American citizens or maybe you live in Canada and you have no plans of moving um, or wherever you live, maybe you think that this doesn't apply to you, but I would encourage you to listen because A, there may very well be someone in your life now who could use this information and there might be a tidbit that you can help them with in in some way. And then secondly, you know, this is just good information, I think, to kind of keep in the back of your brain because you never know down the road who you're going to meet that could really use this information and, and, you know, maybe it's you down the road. Now, I originally thought that I was going to talk about, you know, getting employment kind of in any other country and I realized that was a daunting task that I really couldn't take on because the rules from country to country vary widely. And so if you are, for example, an American citizen who wants to move to a European country, you know, it, it there were just too many to look at. So I encourage you to do that homework. So what I want to focus on today are those who are foreign nationals who want to come in the U.S., which is a pretty common thing. I want to start by saying that my knowledge about this was pretty low. I think, you know, a little bit higher than the average bear. Uh, because of what I do, but not really. I had to do quite a bit of research on this one on several different sites. And so if there are any errors, in fact, I apologize. I did research multiple websites and resources and was seeing the same thing in multiple places before I started, you know, considering it to be a fact. So again, if there are any errors, I uh, may culpa on those. So the first thing that I want to kind of frame this by saying is that everything I've taught in all my other podcasts still applies to foreign nationals. So it's not as though 
there is set of job search rules A for American citizens looking for employment in America and set of rules B for non-U.S. citizens seeking employment in America. What there is is a set of rules for employment in America, whether that has to do with the interview, the resume, job search processes, procedures, salary negotiation, all of that still holds true for foreign nationals. What we're simply doing is putting another layer on top of that to, to add to it. So anything that I've ever spoken about in any of my other podcasts in terms of the job search still holds true for foreign nationals. So one of the things that I think is really important to talk about with this process is kind of the order that things have to happen. And this was new information to me. So the first um, kind of way that this happens, the first step has to be to secure a job in the U.S. So I kind of assumed that you got a visa and then you started looking around for companies that hire foreign nationals. Well, that's not the case. You have to start with securing a job in the U.S. And you're going to be looking for companies that are willing to sponsor a visa. And there are different kinds of visas. I'm going to talk about a couple of the biggies in a minute. So this is going to cost the employer about $25,000 to sponsor your visa. So this is not an inexpensive thing. So for those of you to whom this might be, you know, this is you that would like to come into the U.S., I really want you to be realistic about, do I have a skill set? Do I have qualifications, education, skills, experience that are so highly valued that the U.S., that an employer in the United States would be willing to pay $25,000 to get me when they could hire someone from the United States at no additional charge? Is, there, is that trade-off worth it? And the answer, of course, lies in what your skill set is. What are your experiences? You know, you can certainly Google like, careers most in demand in the United States, jobs most in demand. You know, you can also Google, which is one of my recommendations, Googling employers that do sponsor visas. But really be realistic about what you bring to the table and is it worth it? I have worked over my career with probably, I'm going to say 25 to 35% of my clients have been Canadians. And what I noticed is that I had a lot of international clients who were coming to me through this Canadian company that I was doing some subcontracting work for. And so that kind of got me thinking and kind of got me asking the question. And it does seem that it's easier to get a visa to get into Canada than it is the US. And so one of the things to think about is, you know, are there alternative ways to get what I want to get in the US as a as an employed um, foreign national that maybe isn't the direct route. And I've so one suggestion is to, to look, at least look at Canada and see if that would work. Canada has a pretty good agreement with the US. Again, I'm going to talk about those countries that make it a little bit easier for the US uh, to get into the US. Canada's one of those, so is that maybe an indirect route that you could use? So really be realistic about your skill set and whether a company would be willing to pay you the same amount of money that they would pay a U.S. citizen and then an additional $25,000 to sponsor your visa. So let's talk about these types of visas because certain employers are only going to sponsor certain types of visas. 
So the common ones, you have an H1B, that's the one that I hear of the most often, um, and this is for specialized workers. So again, it gets back to that. So you're essentially, the employer is saying, this is a person who has a skill set that I am not able to find in the U.S., and I want to sponsor them, I want to pay this money to bring them into the U.S. to work because of their skill set. So that's an H1B. And H2B is for temporary skilled or unskilled workers. So same situation, perhaps, but it is a temporary job. Now, this is not agricultural jobs. This is non-agricultural, but they are temporary in nature, and it can be for skilled or unskilled workers. So I'm going to assume that people who come in, let's say, for seasonal, um, like hospitality industry kind of work, perhaps they work in the... Um, um, like on the cruise ships, and it's a cruise ship that is registered to the U.S., that might be an H-2B visa. L-1 is an intra-company transferee. So in this case, you have to be in management or have those specialized skills that we've talked about, and you're going to be working for the same employer. So you've worked for a company in another country, in, say, Europe, and they want to transfer you with their company to the U.S. to do essentially that same job, or um, maybe it's a promotion. So that's an L-1 visa. So I also alluded to the fact that certain companies have kind of better relationships with the U.S., and they make it a little bit easier to get these visas. And those are Australia, the U.K., Canada, and Mexico. There may be others, but those were the ones that I found. So Australia the UK, Canada, and Mexico. I also found some caveats about visa scams. So apparently when you go on the on Google and you start searching for, you know, how do I get a visa to work in the US, there are scams out there that are going to take your money and you should never have to pay a fee to apply. You should never have to pay a fee to apply for a US work visa. That is again done by the company and there should be no fee to you, so beware of those scams. So I mentioned that sometimes coming through one of these other countries might be an easier route. Another way that could be an easier route, especially if you are maybe a little bit younger, is to get a student visa. So I, as I've mentioned before, I worked for 22 years in higher education. And in those 22 years, I worked quite a bit with foreign nationals who were at my university on a student visa. and they were then trying to seek sponsorship to continue to work in the U.S. And sometimes it's with a company that they interned with or co-opted with or had a part-time job with, sometimes not. Now, understand that they're facing the same challenges that you sitting in a foreign country would face in terms of asking an employer to sponsor them and pay $25,000 to do so. The difference is proximity and perhaps experience with that company. So, and, and I'll say third thing, they might have some references, recommendations that are here in the U.S. that's going to make this more of a, it's going to feel more safe for them to hire this person because they've got other U.S. citizens, maybe somebody that they know who can vouch for um, this person, vouch for, for you as a great worker. So essentially what you're doing is you're coming, working, coming and, and going to school on a student visa at a university in the United States, and then ideally, again, getting an internship, maybe some part-time jobs, getting out there and meeting potential employers, showing them what you're capable of, having some track record with them before you then ask them to cough up $25,000 to sponsor you. 
So this is, um, again, it's not a, an easy task. I had many uh, students that I worked with on student visas who did not succeed in this regard, uh, but there were, there were certainly lots of success stories, so that can be an option for you. So let's then talk about finding the job, right? So step one has to be finding the job before you get the visa. So where do you look? So this, the sites that I recommend and that were recommended on the resources that I looked at included Indeed, which is certainly one that I recommend to everybody, Glassdoor, and then a new one that I found called You Sponsor Me. So it's the letter U, Sponsor Me. So keep in mind that you're looking for companies that are willing to sponsor. So it makes no sense for you to waste your time and theirs to sponsor, to look for companies that don't sponsor. So the nice thing about You Sponsor Me is they have a list of the companies that do sponsor. And I think it may even be broken down by the type of sponsorship that they're willing to do. You can also, again, Google. I can remember, um, and I didn't look this up, so I apologize, but I can remember a few years back finding a good site that listed companies that will sponsor. As I said at the outset, only about 25% of companies in the U.S. do this, um, and it's going to be a combination of things. So companies who have defense contracts with the U.S., so we're talking, you know, military government contracts, they typically cannot hire foreign nationals for security reasons. Some very small companies are not going to be able to afford to spend $25,000, and they're not under any obligation. So please know that there is no size of company, type of company, anything like that that requires a company to consider sponsoring people. It is always optional. So you kind of have to think not only in terms of what skill set do I have, but which kinds of companies would be most open to this. And it's it's going to be those mid to bigger sized companies, and it's also going to be companies that don't have those government contracts. And a lot of times, to be honest with you, it's companies that are looking for technical, scientific, you know, STEM kinds of people. So I know I just said that you want to look for medium sized to larger companies, but on the smaller end of things, I'm not talking about little mom and pop shops, but I'm talking about companies with only a few hundred workers they may have difficulty attracting highly specialized workers. So if they are a rapidly growing startup in a highly technical field, for example, they could be key for something like this. Now, the education piece, the onus will be on you to kind of educate them, perhaps, uh, especially if this is somebody that you have a relationship with. Let's say you did do an internship with them or you have a, a personal connection with them. So they have to be large enough to absorb that $25,000 fee, but maybe they're small enough so that they are struggling to find work or struggling to compete with the big guys. And also, and this is one that I hadn't really thought about, but this came up in the research that I did. So companies of a certain size almost all use applicant tracking systems in their hiring process, or I refer to them as ATS. They are called ATS. An ATS is the computer that you put your resume into, and those, those uh, ATS may kick out your resume if you do not have the box check that says I'm a citizen or I have the legal work, right to work in the U.S., whatever the exact question is on the application. So if you can find those companies that are big enough to be able to afford to hire you but don't have an applicant tracking system, again, like those kind of startups, rapidly growing companies, 
you're going to have an easier road if you're not having to fight with an ATS that may automatically kick you out without even, you know, considering you. I also want to talk for a minute about LinkedIn. As you, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, I talk in length about the importance of networking in your job search and that your job search should not and really cannot be all about job boards. So while I've mentioned things like LinkedIn and Indeed and Glassdoor, I also want you to network, and that may seem impossible unless you're here in the U.S., but LinkedIn is really going to be your tool of choice for this networking. So I want you to, first of all, make sure that your LinkedIn profile is top-notch. I really, in particular for those of you for whom English is not your first language, or even if you're in an English-speaking country where the grammar and some of the spelling, like the UK is different. If you want to work in the United States and that's your goal, then you want an American style resume. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And you want an American style LinkedIn profile. So someone like me who writes LinkedIn profiles is going to be a really good investment for you because if you've got English problems in your LinkedIn profile, it's going to be a real turnoff to potential employers. I also want you to, so we want your, your LinkedIn profile to be top-notch, make sure you have a great picture. So all the things I've talked about about LinkedIn in the past still apply. You're also able, especially if you have a premium account, which is going to cost you, I don't know, 40, I think $40 a month. A premium account is going to allow you to see who's looking at your profile and then you can backtrack those views to see which of those people is a recruiter. Recruiters are the sort of number one consumer of LinkedIn. They drive the revenues on LinkedIn. They pay the bills. They keep the lights on. So they get what they want and they are the most active kind of population of people on LinkedIn. I really encourage you to, again, get that premium account so that you have full access to the information about who's looking at your profile, and then reach out to those recruiters that are looking at your profile. See if you can start a conversation. So presumably you came up in a search for them or they wouldn't have found you on LinkedIn, but maybe they saw something you weren't quite right for that job that they're searching for at present. So what you want to do is reach out and find out what kind of jobs are you sourcing um, what kind of companies are you sourcing? Is there a fit there? Can we continue the conversation? Might there be another role down the road that I would be a good fit for? I also want to talk about uh, a couple of sources for salary information and job prospect information. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is a government agency, it's called the BLS, their website is an excellent source for salary information. So if you're wanting to know how much can I expect to get paid in, you know, whatever city in the U.S. you'd like to live in, then you can look at that. And the Occupational Outlook Handbook, which is also a government uh, publication, can help you with job prospects. So what are those jobs that are in most in demand? Do I need to pivot in some way to apply for a job? Do I have a skill set that I'm, maybe I'm not using in my current job in my home country, but that would be of great value in the U.S. and I could pivot to that? Now, you can also Google things like the least expensive major U.S. cities to find those more affordable locations to live in. It's a challenge because sometimes the job that you want, the job that you are qualified for, tends to be in some of the more higher cost of living areas like New York City or San Francisco or Chicago. 
but if you are seeking more of an entry level or an unskilled laborer job, then you really want, or you want to start your own business, you really want to find those least expensive cities to live in. And uh, there is, um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with cost of living in the U.S., it can vary tremendously um, between uh, smaller rural areas and the major metropolitan areas. So let's talk about this this job focus as you start to look for this job. I, I want you to not drive yourself insane. I recently talked to someone who was in um, a foreign country. He lived in one of the African countries in North Africa. And he kind of said, I'm willing to do any job in any country. I just need to get out of this country. Well, you make yourself crazy. And so my first recommendation to him was we need a focus. We need to narrow this focus down. Uh, it sounds, on the face of it, it may sound like, hey, this is a great way to keep my options open. But you're not targeting, right? So you're not, you're not becoming relevant to any employer. And you're not niching down your geographic location so that you can really target it hard. You're just doing a scatter shot wherever the jobs happen to be, whatever the jobs happen to be, I'm going to apply. That's a real low return on investment approach. So we've talked a little bit about networking and we've talked a little bit about how important LinkedIn is going to be in this search. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail about all the nuances of this because, again, everything that I've said before is applicable. Just to say that it is, the only thing I want to say about networking uh, is to just reiterate how incredibly important it is going to be for you. So whether it's a phone call, a Zoom call, a Skype call, a FaceTime, you know, an email, whatever you can do to engage with employers and decision makers in those companies in the U.S. I want to give you six quick pointers about your resume. So again, everything else I've ever said about resumes holds true, but here's a few additional hoops to jump through. Number one, you want to make it clear what the U.S. equivalent is to your degree if it was obtained in another country. So there are websites and you can Google like U.S. degree equivalent. I find a lot of clients have some, it's, it's an odd name for their, for their degree. It's whatever it was in their country. And the thing is the applicant tracking system, if the company has that, is not going to pick that up as a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or whatever it is if it isn't expressed as such. And also when the human sees it, they're not going to know what to make of it unless you've clarified that for them. So make it clear what the U.S. equivalent is to your degree. Number two, if there are other aspects of your resume that may not show the U.S. equivalent, like a certification or um, some other kind of qualification, make sure that you clear this up. You know, I really can't recommend enough that you have someone in the U.S. write this resume for you if you want employment in the, in the U.S. There's such huge differences in resumes, or they may be called CVs in your country. And to try to have someone in your country or yourself write this resume, I can promise you it's not going to be competitive. I can promise you that. So number three, we don't use any personal information on our resumes in the U.S., so nothing about your marital status, your age, your hobbies, um, a picture, none of that can go on your resume in the United States. Number four, your resume shouldn't have any personal pronouns such as I or me, so this is not written in first person. Number five, tell what languages you speak and your proficiency with each, so this can be one of those differentiators that makes you worth $25,000. So put those languages down. 
Number six, although your references are a separate document from your resume, I want to just talk about them for just a second. So in other words, this is not something that's going to go on your resume, but references are an important part of the job search process. So if you're able to secure U.S. references, so references from United States citizens, that's going to be a tremendous help. It's going to be easier for them to have a conversation with a potential hire, and it's just going to seem a little bit more legit. So if you came in on a student visa, maybe, and you've got an internship supervisor, you know, that kind of thing, a professor, some kind of contacts in the U.S. All right, let's talk just for a second about the interviewing differences. So again, everything I've ever said applies. But I, but the interesting thing, I recently had someone reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn, I think, and ask me about, you know, the challenges of the interview process when there's an interview barrier. And he's finding it very difficult to get employment in the U.S. because of the language barrier. And I think this language barrier kind of shows up in two ways. So there's the you know, the inability to communicate, right? We don't understand each other, what each other is saying, and so we can't effectively answer the interview question, or they don't understand our, our answer. But then there's also the nuances of the language. So we're not going to maybe understand the humor. We're not going to understand the, the idioms that are used. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to be able to pick up on kind of what's going on in the, in the room. If you think that your ability to interview in English is going to be a barrier to your employment, I strongly recommend that you hire an interview coach like myself. And there's a couple things that we can do. One of the things we can assess whether this is a legitimate concern for you or whether you're you're overthinking it and you're fine, which would do tremendous things to help with your confidence if you found out, hey, this isn't really a problem like I thought it was. We can also assess how significant the barrier is and give you some tools to help you address it. Now, clearly an interview coach is not going to teach you the English language, nor are they going to significantly improve your language skills. But I think just having that baseline assessment of here's where I stand, here's my, here are my chances, here are a few things I could do maybe to tweak it and make all the difference in the world. What I want you to kind of keep in mind relative to the interview is that essentially an interviewer is trying to figure out, do I know this person well enough to make an educated decision about whether they're the best person for the job? And those language skills can be an impediment to that, can hinder the interviewer's ability to feel like they've really gotten to know you. So that's kind of the bottom line that you're going for here is, can I communicate well enough so that we can get to know one another. It's a two-way street. Can we both get to know each other in this interview well enough so the interviewer feels like they can make an intelligent decision? Finally, I want to give you the five biggest mistakes that I see people making in this process. So number one, putting your needs first, right? So yes, you want a job in the U.S., and there may be very good reasons that you have for wanting to work in the U.S., but that is not of concern to the employer. The employer wants to know what you can do for them, not what they can do for you. So make sure that you're not making this all about you. Number two, which is closely related to number one, is playing the desperation card, right? So that if you start telling them that, you know, you you have this sad story back home and you must be sponsored for a visa, um, they're not going to spend $25,000 on you out of a sense of pity. So it really plays no role in the job search, why you're looking for this job, what sad story is going on in your life. Number three, 
not showing your qualifications. So again, these all kind of relate back to it's got to be about the employer and what you can do for them and the fact that you're the most qualified candidate. And if you haven't showed them your qualifications on your resume, they're not going to bring you in for an interview. Again, yet another reason that you really want an American, a qualified American to write your resume for you. And if you have any questions about that, I have a great document that I'll be glad to send you. Just shoot me an email at lisa, L-E-S-A, at exclusivecareercoaching.com. How to look for a resume writer. I unpack the different credentials that resume writers possess and kind of some of the questions and things to look for with a resume writer before you make a decision and kind of how much should you expect to pay based on your expected salary. All right, so number three, not showing your qualifications. Number four, not demonstrating your interest. So employers want to know why you want to work for them, not just that you want any job anywhere. And your reason can't be self-serving. That gets back to the first ones that I talked about. So really, what is it about that company and about that job that speaks to you that you think you will be super excited to work there and motivated to, to be with that company? And then finally, number five, applying to companies that clearly don't sponsor. There's it just wastes everybody's time. So there's no reason to apply to companies that have clearly stated that they don't sponsor. So in closing, you want to do expect that this process is going to take several months, if not a year. This is not going to be a quick process. It's going to be a pain in the butt, which brings me to number two. There's going to be lots of rejection and frustration. So you need to decide up front if this is something you truly want if you are in it for the long haul, because if you quit after a couple of months of rejections, you're never going to get what you want and you will have wasted that couple of months of your time. So be really committed to this process. And then finally, expect that you're going to run into some scams that attempt to cheat you or, or scam you out of money. And they're going to kind of prey on your desire to live and work in the U.S. So just be very careful and aware of that. And I think you'll be okay. So I hope that this has helped you. Um, this one's been fairly long. I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack about this, and it, it's been very uh, educational for me to do this work to prepare this podcast episode for you. So I hope it was helpful for you. Give me some comments about it, or if you have any questions, um, if you think that anything I said was wrong, tell me, and I'll look it up and see see what the deal is. So as always, rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, I also want to be your career coach. So shoot me a question. Shoot me a question in the comments. Shoot me a question on my email at lesa at exclusivecareercoaching.com. I've had several of you reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I love it. So just tell me that you're a podcast listener and ask me to connect up with you on LinkedIn. And you can find me on Facebook at Exclusive Career Coaching. And you can find me on Instagram at lisa, L-E-S-A dot Edwards. And I just joined Twitter and Snapchat, and I haven't done anything with them. So, you know, eh, there, I don't think you'll, <laughs> I don't think you'll have much luck if you try to find me there. I'm still navigating my way around that. But I live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So hope to see you there. And I hope to see you here next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.